it's very common for us to think about uh, the individual Christian as a new creation in Christ, a, a new man, so to speak. And uh, in the sort of Western individualism uh, in modern culture, uh, we'll tend to read these texts in, their, in the book of Ephesians where the Bible talks about one new man uh, and or in Ephesians 4 here uh, a mature man and we tend to read those individualistically as though they're talking about each one of us when in fact they're talking about the church and we'll, about us as a group but uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, <clears throat> last time we talked about the church as an assembly and we talked about uh, the, the different sort of authority that is supposed to exist in the life of the church as opposed to the authority that might exist in any other human organization. And today we want to talk about the body and what we might notice if we stop to think about it is when the Bible describes the church as the body of Christ and the members of the church as members of that body, each having sort of complementary functions in the body, like your hands complement your eyes, uh, then what we're talking about is not so much an organization as an organism. And that's why we are talking about the church, why we are talking about something we call the organic church, uh, <clears throat> as opposed to the organized church. Now, obviously, a body, an organism, has a certain organization, uh, but it's not in its uh, essence an organization, it's an organism, a living thing. So today we want to talk about the, this proposition, the church is a person. And I'm saying a person uh, on purpose. The church is a person, not a group of people, though it certainly is also a group of people. But the church is a person with a particular identity, not a corporation with a particular product. If you were to look at, <clears throat> well, any number of Christian books over the last hundred years, most of them come from America, and most of them end up treating the church like they would treat other institutions in society, typically companies. So the pastor becomes sort of an entrepreneurial leader, a business leader, uh, and the church is an organization with a product. Just this morning, I tested this hypothesis by Googling, uh, well, I Googled two things. The first thing was selling the gospel, and that, that didn't produce a lot of results because that tended to be a the things on that list tended to be about, is it okay to make money off the gospel? <laughs> and then, but then I Googled the other, the next thing, which is, which was evangelism as sales. 
And I found, uh, uh, well, I think a pretty bottomless list of little blog articles and various articles that characterize in a positive light evangelism as sales. And to me, this is just kind of a way of sort of checking, are we, is my theory that we're treating this too much like a business, does that have any validity to it? And that's just one little bit of very anecdotal evidence. But it does seem to me that quite frequently the way we do church is as though we're a business and the product is Jesus. And our job is to sell Jesus in the world. Um, <clears throat> now, that might have a certain effectiveness to it. The folks who write these articles tend to think that the uh, only value is get more people. Uh, but I think if we want to think biblically, uh, we're, that misses it at least a little. Uh, and while there might be some value in thinking about how to make a good presentation that we might learn from good salespeople, uh, you know, kind of like how not to be a, a jerk, uh, that might have some value, but it does shift our thinking around into a category that I think is not quite biblical. Now, <clears throat> now, so far I've just been complaining about something, but what I really want to do today is look at what the scripture says about how the body functions and what the scripture means when it characterizes the church as a body. Uh, not a bunch of bodies, but a body. Uh, sometimes when I teach this stuff, I begin by asking the question, how many churches are there? Well, there's a bunch of churches, and there's one church. Uh, and if we, ask, if we shift the question just a little, and we say, how many bodies are there? How many bodies of Christ? Then there's only one answer to that question. One. In fact, the scripture makes that declarative statement. There is one body. Uh, we could find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is all about the body and how each Christian is a member of the body. And we're going to talk some more about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in our next meeting, I think, because we're going to talk about how does a person, a, an individual Christian, understand his particular part in the body. But today I wanted to stop and think about the body uh, of one new man. Uh, and so we start with this proposition, the identity of the church is Jesus Christ, in whom we are one new man, reconciled to each other in Christ and reconciled to God in one body, in Christ. <clears throat> and I wanted to refer to Ephesians chapter 2 here. I remember I was 40-something years old 
and I was a seminary student. I was not in my first year of seminary. So I was a person of some significant theological education already when I noticed this. And I think this speaks to uh, the individualistic nature of American culture, that I got to that age and that level of church and Christian and Bible experience before noticing this. What verse have you got? I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 2, and we could just refer to the whole of Ephesians chapter 2, but I'm going to find you a specific spot. First place where we might notice this is in verse 10, which is a frequently memorized text. It comes right after Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which might be second or third after John 3.16 in terms of the most memorized scriptures there are. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One of the things when you start studying the Bible in Greek instead of English is, well, you start making uh, finer observations, more detailed observations. And in this verse, there's a very interesting change in the number that is singular or plural of these words. It's, and so we're going to, And by the way, this is only the first spot where we might start to notice the thing we're observing, which is we, which is a plural first-person pronoun, we. That's more than one. That's we. We are his workmanship. That's a singular word. And in English, this is not so significant. In fact... I might say in English, we are his workmanship and mean each one of us is a project of God. I could mean that in English. In Greek, I can't mean that. Here, we are a thing, one thing, a single work, a single project. So this verse doesn't actually say each of you Christians is a little project of God. What it does say is all of us Christians together are a project of God. We're one workmanship, not a bunch of workmanships. In English, we would have to do that differently. Uh, we, We could say it like this, we are each his workmanship, but that's not what this text says. That would be a bad translation of this text. We are, we all together are his one workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now, he's already talked about that in chapter one. In fact, the whole book of Ephesians is about God making the body, the one new man. 
So later here in chapter 2, he's talking about how Gentiles and Jews are brought together in the church, in the body of Christ. He says, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, now, we make this observation quite a bit, and it's especially important in the book of Ephesians to notice this expression, in Christ. Things are in Christ. But anyway, in Christ, you, were once, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, these two groups of people, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, here, here's the key phrase. That he might create in himself one new Man, all singular. And that, that's verse 10? Is that that is verse 15. 15 okay. Verse 10 was, we are his workmanship. Okay. Verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man. Hmm. <clears throat> and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. There's a a real statement here that the person Jesus saves is the body of Christ. Uh, The one new man. In the work of the cross, you have us reconciled, how did I put it here, to each other in Christ, and then, and then, and then, Reconciled together in one body to God. It's kind of like the bride of Christ. Exactly. Right. It's Christ has one and God has one workmanship, which you could use the translation project uh, in in the place of workmanship. We are indeed a project. Yeah. Uh, A work of art is the word there, workmanship. Here, one body. And so the observation we're making here is that the work of the cross forms the people of God into the person of Christ. One person with one identity. And we are each in Christ and together in Christ. So in sound Christian biblical thinking, we don't want to get too individualistic. Now, this doesn't erase each of us, as though each of us is no longer an individual person with our own identity, but we're also one new man in Christ. So we want to think about the metabolism of the body of Christ, and Paul gets to this in chapter 4, in Ephesians. And it's very common in modern discussions of the body of Christ 
for us to focus on the individuality of the members. So what's your gift? What's your service? How, what do you do in the functioning of the body? Very common, and we're going to talk about that next time. But before that, I wanted to talk about, well, what is it, how do we function as a body? What's the, what's the bloodstream, if you will, of the body of Christ? And so for that, we want to look at Ephesians 4. And by the way, in Ephesians 4, you see both the individual Christian and the body, the one new man, because it's talking about how the individual relates in, in the body. So there's things we all do, and that's kind of what I wanted to notice this is another famous passage of scripture, Ephesians 4:11. <clears throat> and he, and that's speaking of Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, that's the individual Christians, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh until we all attain to the unity, the oneness of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. Singular. Singular. And this is, I believe, only repeating what he said in chapter 2 about the one new man. He's saying there's one... Good morning. He's saying there's one new man, and here he's saying we're growing in to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, into one new man. Same idea. <clears throat> uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what's the identity of the one new man? Christ. <clears throat> uh, so that we may no longer be children, plural, so he's talking about our individual maturity now. Tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, or instead, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So if we were asking the question, who is the new man, then this text is clear, the new man is Christ. And we are in Christ as a consequence of the, the atoning sacrifice of Christ, the work of the cross. So he says, so we're growing up into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up, builds itself up in love. Now, to me, this is some of the details of we are his workmanship. What is, what is the project? Well, the project is the image of God in the person of Christ in the world. <laughs> That's the project. And how, is the, how does that happen? It happens not just in me and you and you and you and you, not just in each of us, but in 
us the body of us. In fact, I think we would learn from this text that the body of us is primary in that. There are certainly occasions where the only idea of Christ someone might have is from me as an individual Christian. There are certainly situations in which that is the case. But that's not me disconnected from you. I, I'm, I'm not available disconnected from you. I, that's not possible, actually. It's us represented in me in before some other person. And the primary bearer of the image of God in the world, in the, in the image of God in Christ, who is the image of God, is in the body of Christ, the church. Uh, so this is something that happens in our unity together. Um, Just slow down for a minute. I mean, that's a whole different way of thinking than the way you normally think. From a more of an individual, you know, you, you think yourself as a contributor, you're the yeah. hand or you're the ear or the eye or something. I can, yeah, I can describe to you, and maybe you're having the same feeling right now, where I was when I was forced by my Greek exegesis class to study this text and notice this, how the room I was in, the person I was with, and it was like, what? That is not what they told me. That, That was my reaction. That is not what how I've understood this idea that the, that the atonement is applied not simply to each and every individual Christian, but to the body of Christ, the group, the church, blew my mind. It was like, what? That is not what I have been thinking this whole time. And like I said, I was... 43, 44 years old, and I'd been some kind of pastor for almost 20 years and grew up reading this stuff, studying this stuff, thinking about this stuff. So for me, that's part of what convinces me that, (laughs) like, if anyone should have known this, it would be me. And I didn't know this, so I don't so I really wonder if anyone else does, well, you know, like... The other way of thinking of it is actually simpler. This one is a little more complicated, actually, right? Because it's everybody together that mm-hmm. forms the image of God. Right. Not just us individually. Right. Right. So everybody's like, if you will, hoping for the grace to come upon you so that you can portray the image of Christ. And that's true. And good, and yes, but that's not the whole story. It's not the whole story. Right. right. The whole story is actually harder to comprehend. Yeah, maybe. But better. But, it's but better. better. Yeah. 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 So our witness is, is not just an, an individual duty and responsibility. It's a group thing. And, you know, if I stop and think about the whole uh, metaphor of a body, then this should have been obvious. Because I think, 
All right. So Paul, when he talks about our parts in the body, he says, so what, you know, what if the hand says to the foot, I don't need you? Well, the hand is trying to pull one over on us. That's obviously not the case. It doesn't, just because the hand says that doesn't make it so. Uh, You know, and so if we think about the idea of the body of Christ and our mutual necessity in it, I think, well, let's imagine you're walking down the street one day and you find a finger laying by the side of the road. I know this is kind of gross, but let's imagine that you find my finger there laying by the side of the road. Well, there it is. It is my finger. You could take a fingerprint of my finger dissevered from my body. You could take a fingerprint of that, and it would be the absolute image of me as a finger. It could not be anyone else's finger. It is only mine. You could examine the DNA of it, and you could, find, you could determine exactly. And that finger is, is absolutely Doug-like in its fingerness, But you could look at that finger all day long and have no idea what I was like as a person. And so to me, I think, well, okay, that, con- that common concept of our image bearing in the world is too individualized. In other words, you can't look at me and really know Christ. You could learn something of Christ. You could tell I belong to Christ. You can, I might be as Christ-like as I can be as myself. But to really get the whole picture, you need the whole body. And the whole body is that image-bearing thing. That's the thing of a body, is it's how we're present with one another. How, how do you... How am I here in my body? Uh, So how do we know and relate to each other in our embodied state? And if you ask the question, how is Jesus Christ embodied in the world today? The answer is not the Christian, but the body of Christians. Uh, And the Christian only as a tiny microcosmic it's like you're a reflection red, of that. It's like your red corpuscle floating around <laughs> Something in the like body. That, yeah. So then, I, then the question comes up: All of us sitting around the table before this lesson, uh, you look at, well, I really sinned. God, please forgive me of the sin. When using this other description is, if you sin, you, you affect the whole body of the of the thing. So it's a different way of looking at it. We are not yeah. separable from one another so if I sin, in I our condition. Eat. Yeah. Uh-huh. Even and that's what you, you know, you can... There's a lot of ramifications of this idea that kind of follow along those lines. Yeah. Here, you know, each of us doing our part is causes the growth. And we're going to look at next time uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Actually, that's not next time. That's when we talk about the church as a family. 
but the 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 word there is not forsaking the assembly and that's not just about going to church it's that's included but forsaking means to like leave stranded or shorthanded yeah <laughs> and so i think whatever any christian brings to the body is something the body needs so when we talk about gifts we're not just talking about what gifts do i have as a christian though we are talking about that we're also talking about what gifts i bring to the body uh in other words i'm the gift because god has prepared me in a certain way to function in a certain way that's actually important in the fellowship of the church we're way more connected than we think i know my grandfather was the sort of guy who well he, um, i don't i think he almost never went to church and he was a person who thought well you don't have to go to church to be a christian well and that's true actually i mean you can be a saved person and never go to church but you can't be a saved person and not be in the body and so i wonder all those years what he might have been depriving some church of yeah. because he just didn't care to participate that much or that actively you know and all of this is in god's sovereign hands and we don't have to get too worked up about it but you know there's a there's an interconnectedness that really matters a lot more than we give it credit for in modern western protestant christianity and, and you know the, the, the thing that i totally agree with that and and one of the things that you you never see a person go into seclusion and just study the bible and come out an all-knowing expert uh, right it just now they come out with all kinds of heresies exactly <laughs> it, it, it's it's the act of in the body christian uh, serving together with others that's going to learn and be able to function in a way that well and even in the design of the local church with a with a local body with serving together under the administration or the leadership or the example of some elders there's a there's a teaching authority in the church individuals don't have individual christians don't have teaching authority the church does now, when we, when we had to rebel against the Roman Catholic Church, the problem was that that teaching authority in the church had somehow superseded the authority of Scripture. So that requires some correction. And I think in Western Protestantism, we might have overcorrected a, a bit on that. Uh, so to talk about the metabolism of the body then in this thing that we read there's there's things we all do we're all equipped by the apostles prophets evangelists and pastor teachers shepherd teachers uh elders are pastor teachers by the way that's the function here uh apostles and prophets i think primarily we find in the scripture now and Evangelists are people who are especially gifted at communicating the gospel. They're gospelizers. And these four kinds of people are given to the church in this text to equip the saints for works of service. So 
if you say, who's doing the work of the church? If you ask that question of this text, who's doing the work of the church? The answer is the saints, all the Christians. Uh, so the second thing here is we each engage in our part in the work of the work of service. And that's some focused toward the other parts of the body, some focused out into the world. It's the functioning of the body. And then number three, the thing we all do is speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. Now, I think in the New Testament, if you have the expression, the truth, you're primarily referring to the gospel, though the category might be broader, but it certainly would include the gospel. What do we say to each other in the fellowship of the body of Christ? We say the goodness of God's grace in Christ. We are always preaching the gospel to one another. In love. You know, sometimes preaching the truth to somebody involves confronting some aspect of that person's personality or character or behavior with the truth to say, I'm observing something that's not in line with the truth. And so we have this uh, little qualifier, speaking the truth. It's not just speaking the truth. Because right, they could be hard. It, Black and yeah. It's the expression of the very nature of God in Christ when John says, full of grace and truth. There's this miraculous combination of truth and grace, truth and love, truth and uh, acceptance that's sort of unconditional. So I'm telling you the truth, and I might, tell, I might be saying, hey, you need to straighten up. You're, you are a bad person, my friend. But I say, my friend, because I know I'm a bad person too. L- look at us, all us lucky bad people here in the body of Christ, for heaven's sake. The, the people who know the love of God in Christ, the people who experience His grace. And so even when the truth is hard, it's in love. So there's always acceptance. And if I think... One of the things I tell, start figuring out how to tell the truth about is myself. And so we become more honest. More honest. And I, my honesty is not just about what a horrible person you are. My honesty is also about the various ways I'm a horrible person and can you please help me. And if we develop a society in which acceptance is always extended then we become actually able in a position to deal with our crap. (laughs) To actually be in a position to say, you know, I have this ongoing struggle with blah, 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 you name it. Can anyone help me? And um, if we develop this accepting community, 
then I am not afraid that if I say that about myself, they're going to throw me out of here. <laughs> they're going to reject me. They're going, right. we don't reject people. In, if a person confesses faith in Christ, God accepted them. On what basis do I reject them? So this is a communication of the church grounded in and infused with the gospel, the, the grace of God in Christ, the good news. And this is, I think, all of us are old enough to know, very difficult to develop in a group of people. Am I right? Like, well, it's something new. I mean, it's blowing my hell out here. It is. Well, and, you know, even as we become conscious of the need for this, man, it's hard to get. It is a slow-growing okay, I'm going to accept you and encourage you to share yourself with me by sharing myself with you in a way that I can barely get comfortable with and trust you so that you trust me and we're going to... Well, that takes a long time to build up and it's, it can be destroyed in a heartbeat. So... This is something I think you'd have to say, the ideal of the body of Christ, something we're working together on, and the key to working on it is speaking the truth in love. And you could say that to the degree that can happen, the healthier the body is. Absolutely. Yeah. If we have a space where people can say, hey, this, this sin is dogging me, yeah. and we can say, yeah, I know what you mean, Let's see how we can work on that together. That instead of saying, oh, you can't have that sin, out. Uh, that, <laughs> that, that's a project. And the key is this expression, speaking the truth in law. Communicating the gospel with honesty and care and something I would call unconditional acceptance. I don't reject you as a person. Uh, so... Well, it, it has to do, too, with honesty about your own self. Well, exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, loving, truthful, meaning honest and transparent, Christ-centered fellowship is the lifeblood of the body of Christ. Should I say that again? Loving, truthful, meaning honest and transparent, Christ-centered fellowship is the lifeblood of the body of Christ. Trying to be a Christian without that will, uh, I think, prove to be impossible. It's about building relationships. Building. <laughs> Again, time, time, time. In which we build up faith by communicating to each other the unconditional acceptance, love, and grace that we have from God in Christ by the Spirit. Just like he did with us, really. Right? Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. So, what are the results? 
or we might say, what's the goal or the purpose of the body functioning in this way? Well, there's several things mentioned in this text. I'm going to try to go through this pretty rapidly. First of all, he says, until we all attain to the unity, to the one, to the one. And this unity has two aspects, faith and knowledge. Trust and know. And it's knowledge of the Son of God. It's And this knowledge is not like a academic exercise. It's personal. It's like, so I know Jesus. If I say I know Jesus, I don't mean I know a lot of Christology. I mean, I know a person. His name is Jesus. That's the kind of knowledge we're talking about. And our unity in the body is around trusting and knowing Christ. Uh, And what I'm trying to help you do in speaking the truth in love in the fellowship of the body of Christ is I want you to know and trust Christ. Simple. Uh, And then he says, uh, until we all attain to a mature man. Now, I've already preached about how it's a mature man, not mature men, which he then said, refers to as the fullness of Christ. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul makes this quick reference to the body of Christ, and then he describes the body as the fullness of God. I think we underestimate the significance of the body of Christ, the fullness of God. In other words, Jesus himself is said to be, by Paul in the book of Colossians, the image of God. And who are we? The fullness of God in Christ. So we in the world today are the image of God born in the body of Christ. Sorry, I have to go. Sorry, Margaret. Thank you. So, uh, the fullness of Christ. And then he says, uh, we'll no longer be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. Hmm. So there's uh, the third thing here is doctrinal security. In other words, what keeps you solid in your Christian thinking It's not just how much you've studied. It's how much the people you know have studied. We. How much have we studied? Yeah. I used to tell this to kids in high school when I was a youth pastor. I'd say, you know, you might go to college and some of this stuff you've learned in high school and church is going to be seriously challenged. Yes. And I want you to know that you are not the first person to hear those challenges. And so uh, we're going to try to prepare you in advance. But we also know that before you faced it, you don't really pay much attention to these lessons. So when you face it, call me. If you need some help figuring out some argument some professors making against why all Christians are are stupid, then call me because 
it's a very, there's a very good chance that I've heard what that professor says already. And I already read up on how we can respond to that from Scripture. Or I know where to look to find it. So it's not just a question of how much each of us knows that keeps us from being blown around by every wind of doctrine. It's how much we collectively know. And it's, it's not just what you know, it's who you know. That's a great, that's a really, really good one. And then also there's, as we've already mentioned, a certain emotional security in being in a group of people that speaks the truth in love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes you safe. And the gospel makes you safe. So if I'm always telling you the gospel, you become a strong person because you are safe in Christ. And so you can risk foolish behavior for the cause of Christ because it's not really that much of a risk if you're safe in Christ. I mean, they could kill you. But they can't actually kill you. <laughs> so that's a very powerful position. And so if we belong to a, a community in which we speak the truth in love with some consistency, we are, we are becoming emotionally secure people. Mm. Uh, then uh, the growth of the body is for the building up of the body in the end. So all of this speaking the truth, remember, we are God's workmanship. So what's the project we're all working on here? The presence of Christ in the world in the church, the body. So while you are going to grow as you engage in being a Christian participant in the body, the main thing that grows is the body. So I thought, well, how does the body grow? Here's some ways. More people come into the body. That's one way it grows. Christians become Christians. So they come into the church. People then can be equipped. Well, that's what we've already talked about. There's certain people in the body who function to equip the rest of us. So they become equipped and they begin to serve. And then grace can be reflected. So uh, the body grows when more people join the body. The body grows when each one of those people grows, stronger as a Christian. The body grows when each one of those people functions to speak the truth in love. Grace is reflected and fellowship is strengthened. So I'm really thinking of primarily three ways. It gets bigger. Uh, The various parts get healthier and the fellowship of the parts gets stronger. All good. That's how the body is built up. Uh, And so... What, what I, I want to try to come back then to our initial proposition, which is the church is a person with a particular identity 
And that, I think, is a more important way of thinking of the church, a more biblical way, than the church is a corporation or an organization with a particular product. Whose project is it? Well, if you read the book of Ephesians, it's God's project. Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I'm hiring you guys to build my church. And there's a great deal of freedom in recognizing the true nature of our responsibility in the church and not taking on his. So it's more about who we are than what we get done. That doesn't mean there aren't things to do. (laughs) Of course there are. But uh, we're functioning as a body. And if we function well as a body, our identity in the world will become crystal clear. Our testimony will be clear. And we want to think about our testimony as a sales pitch. When uh, let's let's develop the product. Yeah, I don't even like that. Let's think about who we are in the world, and let's be that guy. And uh, then, of course, we'll do evangelism. We can't help it. We're all about the gospel. If I become secure in the gospel, I can't help talking to you about it. If, I'm, if, if we're becoming a community of that sort of secure person in Christ, and you're talking to someone at work who is struggling with their insecurities, you have something to say to that person <laughs> uh, that's meaningful. And it's not a sales pitch. You don't have to say, well, Jesus, God has, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You can say, uh, I know firsthand where security actually comes from. You want to know about it? That is a whole nother thing, a whole different kind of witness. We can see it in if we develop a loving fellowship in a local church and someone comes through the door, what will they experience? Honesty like they've never seen before. They will experience people talking about their own faults and praising God for the grace to deal with them. What on earth? You don't see that anywhere. Uh, they will experience a group of people that actually takes care of each other. And we'll talk more about that when we talk about a family. But the, you know, Jesus said, this is how everyone will know you're my disciples. If you love each other. It's not about how well you love the world. It's about how we love each other right here in the church. Uh, And of course, of course, that spills out. Uh, So, uh, again, we're talking about a more organic and a less organizational 
concept of what a church, what church is, and what the church is, and what a church is. Well, the television is fitting this. In my estimation, almost not at all. Like, almost not. I mean, I don't think it's impossible to be somebody you might call that and still fit into the description of the body that you find in the scripture. But man, it seems extremely unlikely. Now, some of those people are preaching a true gospel. All right, that's that can be good. But the organization required and the uh, money required and sometimes the way it becomes about the money instead of about the gospel or about the person. Yeah, it's almost always about the person. They bring a lot of people. Uh, you gotta, you gotta wonder how real it is. Yeah. We'd hope that the people would hear that and then seek out a local. And God can manage all that, you know. Uh, but it's not a, it's not a church. It's not this body of Christ thing as a general rule. I think it's very. And honestly, I think I might have to say the same thing about what in American culture today is called a megachurch, where it's more about how do we organize to maximum, maximize the number of people present. Right. And the biggest spreadsheet. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you don't... You don't. I personally am having a harder and harder time finding a biblical basis for that as the sort of principal objective. That seems very it, well. It doesn't seem historically. It is American. Like this comes from the Second Great Awakening, when the preachers of the Second Great Awakening just sort of decided together that the most important thing was how many people. And no matter what you have to do to get somebody to make a decision for Jesus, whatever that might mean, and it didn't always mean the same thing, whatever you had to do to do that, you would do. Uh, So then we had the whole revivalism thing of the 19th century America. So a lot of people became Christians of some kind or another. And sometimes without even actually hearing about salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, <laughs> by grace alone, you know. So how real their conversion was is highly questionable. Anyway, uh, so yeah, even that kind of, that's the sort of salesman mentality, like, okay, it's on me, get as many people to call themselves Christians as possible, where I think the biblical mandate is something like, be the body of Christ. Be people who really know and trust Christ on the basis of the work of the cross of Christ. 
and uh, see the body grow organically. Organically, and you know that doesn't mean I'm never going to actually just sit down and present the gospel to someone. Of course I am, because I care about them. Uh, but I might want a different version from the four spiritual laws, which is literally designed to be a sales pitch. <laughs> I mean, it has a closing. At least find a little more university, which is a pretty good school. It's a very good university, yeah. Didn't yeah. you teach that once Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I have a very good friend of mine went to the medical school, which I don't think they have a medical school anymore, but... Uh, yeah, it's a fine university, but the, the, I mean, he would be a kind of almost a classic case of, uh, that sort of, well, televangelist, that's the summary word. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't mean he never did anything right. Uh, It just means. The universe is a whole separate yeah, right. But he sort of founded it based on the finances from the other thing. So good for him that he founded a good school. Uh, yeah. So well, and a lot of people come Christ through those guys. And then the answer is once they get in there, if they pick up the word and start mm-hmm. studying it, study, study, study it, they find that, hey, some of this stuff is not right, some of it is right. And so they spin off into other churches that match what the word yeah. is. And I think for us, the lesson is to be that church, right? right. Like it's not, yes. right. we don't have to go fix the whole wide world of all Christianity. It's okay, mm-hmm. so we see this. We're, that's what, what we will be. And the promise of scripture is that will grow. That's good. And, you know, the, and if, if I have the opportunity to talk to some other preacher about this and he figures it out, and, um, you know, I'm certainly not the guy that figured this out, but the, that, uh, the, the lesson isn't really, you know, well, so, what do we do about Joel Osteen? I'm, I don't need to fix Joel Osteen. I certainly hope that all those thousands of people that are listening to him preach every Sunday figure out there isn't any Jesus in it and find Jesus. But I, what from here, what I do is try to shepherd us to be this kind of church and uh, that, you know, we can get ourselves, we could get ourselves wrapped up in a whole new organizational imperative if we thought, oh, well, we better go out and create a movement to fix the church. Well, uh, well Jesus is the one. His prosperity. And who would, who, who, uh, nothing would turn that down. I mean, Wow, the guy's very charming as well. He just absolutely just put flowers on top of Cassidy. He, he is a magnificent speaker. And but he started looking at analyzing what he said. It's like Doug says, you don't see a whole lot of Jesus in well, that. It's just Oprah Church. Yeah. I you know, and 
That helps people. Okay. Great. I mean, once they get over the law, the only the only problem I can have with it is it's not church. Yeah. It's not Christ. Really, is the problem. I think you could say if, if people aren't involved in their local church, working as a body in the local church. Uh, the way I look at it, those evangelists just start the tip of the iceberg of somebody questioning, you know, am I lost or am I not? But if they don't get involved in a local church and grow together with other Christians in this way, then, uh, you know. I think it's better than nothing. Huh? It's better than nothing. Yeah. But hopefully it'll <laughs> stimulate them yeah. to get yeah. involved in exactly. the Exactly. From there, they can go into right. getting the real word. Right. Which sometimes... They look at us, the church, and man, these guys are crazy. But to go through that door and then back to the other door is, I think, where God's hand is. He said, you got to get them interested. Get them interested. Then they, if they find out the truth word, they won't stay there. They'll go to other churches. If I figure out the church is a body, a family, a community, not a company. Uh, you know, I can quit worrying about all kinds of strategic problems. <laughs> I don't... The strategy is how, how do we encourage one another to know and trust in Christ? And how do we encourage the people around us in our community to know and trust in Christ? That is the whole problem. I don't need a great big TV strategy. If God presents me with some kind of opportunity, I might take advantage of it. If, you know, but it's uh, who's building the church? Whose project is it? Hmm. That's a very important question. And the rest of us can rest in Christ. <laughs> and resting in Christ is rest with a good deal of labor. But it's resting in Christ. Trusting. It's trusting that he will grow the church and that I can get in on it, that I can have part to play in it. It's a, it's a real shift in our whole paradigm of how we operate. It's a local church. In Tulsa, there's probably at least 10 churches with 5,000 members yeah. Yeah, and I, I, it, it's a really good question in my mind. I think if it's a good church, it's not a lo- that church of five or ten thousand is not a local church. It's three or four hundred local churches, right. and there's a bunch, there's a way those people connect and develop community. That's not with five or ten thousand people all at once. You know, that's with a dozen people. That's with uh, fifty people. And I think those giant churches that maintain the body life have something going on that's along those lines of where there's actual speaking the truth in love going on. They can support a whole lot of stuff. They can. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, That's right. You couldn't have that right. Well, and if you're going to get together and send a missionary somewhere, 
you know, that's probably going to take more than one group of 50 people. So, yeah, there's lots of ways in which local churches need to cooperate with each other. And, you know, in some cases, that might mean uh, the sort of Walmart church, you know. Okay. (laughs) All right, we should probably stop. I don't know how long I've been going, but I think it's long enough. Let me pray. Father, thanks for a chance to get together. We pray for the folks who weren't able to make it today, that you would bless them, be with them. Lord, I thank you for these men and their friendship and fellowship that we have around the Word at this time. We, We just thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.